0: What were Jesus' last words? Go out into the whole world and make disciples. This Catholic podcast is all about helping you say yes to the final and greatest invitation of Jesus, the adventure you were made for. Together, let's explore what business,
1: education, organizational leadership, popes, saints, and scriptures say about fulfilling the Great Commission. Hey everyone, welcome to a special edition of the Being and Making Disciples podcast. We have our first guest interview. We're so excited to talk with Matt Reggett today. Matt, 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 Matt. So Matt, I don't know what else to call you besides an evangelist You do so many different things. I'm excited for folks to hear about it today, to know all that's going on in the Lord's Vineyard of church ministry. A lot of dynamic things happening. So uh, Matt, thanks for being with us this day.
2: Thanks for having me on, guys. It's, it's an honor, even if it is uh, before my first cup of coffee.
1: <laughs> I have no doubt that that won't dwindle your, your energy level. You're always a high energy guy, <laughs> Matt. So um, maybe to, to kick us off, can you tell us about all the different things you're involved in and um, why they're each important to you um, in the area of evangelization and discipleship?
2: Well, yeah, maybe everybody ought to go get a cup of coffees because I might put them to sleep here quickly. Not because I have so much um, so much to talk about myself. But, uh, man, the Lord is just up to some great things in this season in the church. And, you know, I think at one glance, you know, I'm I'm like everybody else in the church. Like I've worked in the church now for 20 years. And, you know, I, I've, I've worked around enough church folks to know that after 20 years in church ministry, Uh, Some people get bitter or they just kind of get stuck or they get kind of locked in their ways. You know, I mean, uh, there's no fault of them, really, other than just sometimes how the structure and the weight of it all just kind of wears people down. So with all that said, I'm at a place now in my in my ministry after 20 years of, of full time church ministry at a mega parish in Houston uh, which I loved dearly, I poured my blood, sweat and tears into uh, the youth program uh, with along with my brother Dave over, you know, a long uh, process, really, of looking at what was working, what wasn't working. We were not uh, happy with just staying put or doing things the old way. And, you know, just because uh, it's the Catholic Church doesn't mean everything has to be done the same way for 2000 years. The, gospel's the thing is the, the thing that needs to be done for 2000 years, not the methods. Uh, So we like to say, let's make the mission more important than the methods and not get locked into our methods. Um, So I left uh, full-time church ministry and went into full-time coaching ministry with a new ministry, a global ministry, new to me. I've been around for about five years now. Uh, Father James Mallon started uh, this ministry called Divine Renovation. It started with a book he wrote about he wanted church ministry to look different. And here's what he was trying to do. It was almost like his manifesto of like... See, it can be done differently, even when you're trying to combine three parishes, which this uh, constriction of parishes seems to be a new model we're seeing across the country. So it started a ministry of how do we support other parishes in this effort of renewal? So I stepped out of that. uh, uh, I mean, stepped out of my old uh, ministry life and into this joyfully. And it's just been great uh, to see other parishes trying to do it differently, trying to not get stuck. And I coach these parishes. So it's like, how can we just tweak some things or help you get unstuck? Or how can we totally revamp some things? How can we give you a fresh vision? How can you raise up a leadership team? So that's kind of what my personal ministry is now. And I don't even know what that's going to look like because it was uh, about a year ago that I made the change. And this whole year, of course, with COVID too, has not looked like I thought it would. And our ministry is, is evolving and scaling greatly. And it's just amazing to see how the Lord's blessing even us broken church folks that's keep trying, trying to swing away at it and see what happens.
1: Yeah, man, I would think that uh, it's been a good time for divine renovation because COVID has kind of made it forced innovation for churches. You know, a lot of churches um, were not live streaming services or masses. A lot of churches were not doing things online and COVID made it happen. And uh, that's been a a really good thing. so I like to say I like to call it forced innovation because if we had a say in it, we probably would have just kept doing what we were doing, people were showing up. But now folks may not come back, right? That's everyone's fear. So we got to do new and innovative things. So how have you seen the the ministry you thought you were gonna do with divine renovation change as you went into the year of COVID? Mm.
2: Yeah. Well, one thing I thought I'd be hopping on more airplanes um, and, you know, visiting these parishes because we know the value of relational ministry. Like we do that as youth ministers that didn't go away because we administer to adults or especially to pastors. So, you know, this relational ministry aspect that we're trying to have to capture now in a new environment. So, you know, COVID wasn't the problem for ministry. It just shown a spotlight on all the problems we already had. I mean, maybe it accelerated some things like decline especially now as you look and church numbers are showing anywhere from like 25 to 40% of the people, depending on what congregation you're in, returning in person. And for a sacramental church like we have, physicality matters, right? So uh, it's not the end all be all. They have to be only at mass. You know, we have to find other creative ways to reach people, but it does not devalue our sacramental nature, of course. So I think that's part of it is, How do we do a physical sacramental identity of church in a virtual world? So one thing I think the biggest pivot that I think we've made along with parishes has been this new identity of hybrid church. How can you live in both spaces? You know, before we used to say our parishioners were in our parish boundaries by zip code. What about our virtual congregation now? What about our virtual parishioners? Do they count even if they don't fall in my zip code area? That, that's, that's a model of church, I think, that has, um, and, and Pope Francis spoke about this in his, his newest document from the Congregation on the Clergy, about those boundaries have shifted and they've changed. But we've been so used to saying, I go to this church because I live here. Uh, now we have people that go to our church that don't even live anywhere near us.
0: I've played around with this idea a little bit, thinking about RCIA, and particularly uh, if people wanted to become Catholic but they didn't live near a parish that had an RCA program that worked for them, or for whatever reason. So now, all of a sudden, let's say you have someone from Colorado and North Dakota and Minnesota who's in your RCIA program in Texas. Where do they get confirmed? And do we have any problems with that? And to me, I would, you know, I think back to some of those early Christian controversies. Controversies, and St. Paul who was adamant. We are not followers of, you know, Apollos or, or Paul or Peter. We're followers of Jesus Christ. And so uh, my approach to that would be let them come and don't hinder people from becoming Catholic. And if it doesn't fit with the, the old schema, so be it. Update the schema. Don't kick people out or turn people away.
2: Amen, brother. And, you know, we have a model, a working model of this already with regard to marriage ministry. I mean, think about couples that live far apart from each other. We've already made concessions in the church. So if you needed permission to make one more, about like you're not making concessions about the truth. You're just making concessions about where they get formed, right? We can figure the mm-hmm. other stuff out along the way.
1: Yeah, right. you know, It's like the what is non-negotiable, the what we teach people. And like you said, man, I like what you said that we're not diminishing the sacramentality of the church. The goal is to get them to Jesus Christ in the most holy Eucharist. That is always the goal. But COVID people for legitimate reasons have had fear of coming that are, you know, of coming because of illness. The bishops have allowed for them to worship uh, away from the altar, come back as soon as they are able. Mm -hmm. Um, So we can't be afraid of that. We need to embrace it. Um, So the what can never change, but the how needs to be negotiable because the how is going to change by season. No one saw COVID coming. OK, and if you got stuck in the old model, I think one thing I saw during COVID is the parishes that I kind of knew were already evangelizing. They kept doing it and they found new ways. It made kind of the cream rise to the top a little bit. And the ones that weren't willing to be innovated, they kind of suffered during the time of COVID. So don't put shackles on the Holy Spirit. Mm.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I, my heart goes out to priests everywhere, leaders too, not just the priests, but their leadership teams. They didn't sign up for, well, they signed up for, of course, for this long-term, but they didn't sign up for this specific season, knowing what was going to happen. They didn't get into this because they were necessarily the perfect innovators and change agents. They did it because they loved Jesus and they wanted to bring sacraments to people. So this is really a place like for your ministry or for divine renovation, or even for what my wife and I do as a ministry, uh, to step into some of those voids and walk alongside of them Uh they need help, right? They need help leading. Nobody's born a perfect leader and they got this much training. Priest, that's a zero if you're not watching, if you're listening. They got zero percent training on leadership oh, I and 30. best
1: practices. three. I saw three. That, that
2: could be three. So let's turn 30%. it. It's a zero, zero training in leadership and running a business. So now we're turning them into, you know, multi-million dollar CEOs. And they're like in the middle of a pandemic. No wonder they're struggling.
1: Yeah, and it, it's interesting because what I've noticed, because I thought about that a lot, is um, that some priests do like the administrative side. It's one of their things. But others say, hey, I just want to be a shepherd. And we need to embrace those priests and come around them and help them as so work around, work with their gifts and talents. Um, you no know, matter you were telling me the other day about a, a test that will a, a little uh, diagnostic test that can help a priest or any ministry leader know what type of leader they are. So I think recognizing those things about ourselves helps us know what people we need to put around us, too.
2: Yeah, the, the test you're talking about is called the APEST test. And there's a bunch, right? Like you're going to have people listening. You're like, well, I know my Myers-Briggs and I know my disc and I know, you know, all the other indicators. The APEST test is, a, is kind of a ministry indicator, and it uses that Ephesians 4 reference from St. Paul, <laughs> the, the fivefold ministries of uh, evangelists prophet, I'm sorry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. It's an acronym. So I just had to remember the letters in order. Uh, and, and what you notice is as you take these, your your top one or two rise to the top. Well, pastors, uh, if you look at like them as a whole, they're they're overrepresented by shepherd teachers. And so the evangelist apostles really need to come around these shepherd teachers right? And, and push the envelope because that's what a prophet does and go out. Cause that's what an evangelist does. You know, shepherds are tend to want to teach and take care of their flock, which is a great charism. They just need to bring others around them to help them in that capacity.
0: I love the, the, the distinction there in recognizing we've got manifold gifts and it's not that any of us are, we only do some of these, but some of us are much more comfortable in, in one or two of those than others. And, um, I, so Justin and I have talked a lot about, you know, maintenance versus mission. I am not a maintenance person. Like when, mm-hmm. um, when a job turns into maintenance for me, I think this is so boring. I have to find something new to do. I have to innovate or, or just evolve the position because otherwise I, I go out of my mind with boredom because um, it's just not in my DNA to sit there and, and, and keep the thing running and make sure nothing, nothing goes wrong. I want to go beyond what we already have.
1: Yeah. You know, I think none of us are meant to remain stagnant in our ministry. And I've heard uh, our good friend uh, in Orlando, Gail, Dan, she talks about ministry is like an organism. It should evolve and grow over time, just like each of us. Um, We kind of grow over time. So Matt, on that note, I want to ask you about two, you know, I know you speak at Steubenville conferences. You you present for different uh, events, but I also want to ask about two other ministries I know are near and dear to your heart. One is Uh, your recent book you wrote with your wife, I think about your son wanting to become a priest and also maybe the survive and thrive ministries. Could you tell us the story behind both of those and what they're intended to do to help people walking with
0: our Lord?
2: Yeah, you bet. You know, survive and thrive was really, it's funny. One is because of extreme, terrible grief. And one is because of uh, extreme joy and they're connected, which again, we're back to the paradox of the cross, right? Like Uh, You can't have the resurrection without the cross. I sure wish we could, but uh, that's not the setup and it's not our path either. Um, Now, that's not to say that because of the extreme grief, my wife and I went through 14 years ago, losing our two year old daughter that somehow God like put us up to this or did this to us. Um, That's not the case, you know, but God was there with us in that moment. And that took some searching. Uh, My wife and I just we lost a daughter. Um, we put her to bed with a fever and a cough. And I know that sounds maybe more scary during this COVID pandemic, but that's what every good parent does with a sick two-year-old with a fever and a cough. They put them to bed. My daughter just didn't wake up. Um, and that changed, of course, our lives forever, but my dad's heart, it, it changed my faith. Um, I had a lot of questions, of course, and that only God could answer. There wasn't a doctor or a babysitter or a drunk driver to blame. It was me and God, uh, you know going going fist to cuffs over this really wrestling with that my wife and i um realized because of our grief and because we worked in ministry that we are often invited in to other people's stories of grief uh, how many i could i can't count the number of times actually that we've been asked to accompany other people around the country really in their stories of losing their children because when someone finds out uh, you know that someone lost a child A lot of times their friends or family members will reach out to us and say, hey, how do we walk with them? How do we help them? And that's really how the ministry started was was realizing this cross we carried of grief was really heavy. And crosses get lighter when you help people carry them. I mean, the whole image of, uh, you know, Jesus having having his friend really at that moment uh, carry his cross in the scriptures so uh, we started carrying other people's crosses and we started a ministry called survive and thrive, realizing there's seasons in our life that are just about putting one foot in front of the other. That like getting up in the morning was a wind a day and that needs to be OK. People have to journey through that. But too quickly, we like try and tell people, no, move on, get past that, get into thriving. Yes, thrival awaits us, but you do have to journey through survival. And so it's really to help help people navigate that. And really, we, we want to walk with with people. That are helping others navigate that because none of us were trained in grief counseling. I'm not a grief counselor by training. I've just had uh, the, the school of hard knocks because of losing my daughter. So that's how Survive and Thrive started. Um, and now we get to do marriage events and, and, and speak together, which is neat to have my wife uh, speak with me, whether it's in a living room or on a stage, just getting to share our story with others. And then the book we wrote was about my wife, uh, my son, Beckett, wanting to be a priest. And my wife wanted to to help my son. Like, let's go to the library and find a book on being a priest. Well, guess what? When you go to the public library and you go to the religion section or the children's section, there's no book on I want to be a priest. So my wife just said, "Okay, I'll write it. So she wrote a book about a little boy wanting to be a priest. Ironically, as you read the book now, it's actually autobiographical about about my son and about my family. So we had to do some edits, of course. Uh, we got a really good friend of ours, Paul Latino, to do the illustrations. And we presented it to Paulus Press, you know, a major Catholic publishing house. And they said, we love it. We were surprised. We renewed new at all of this. We are not book publishers. Um, and now it's a thing. It's actually a book and it's, it's getting to bless other families. So something that started from just our desire uh, turned into a fruit uh, that's still blessing our family. And what's
0: the name of the book, Matt?
2: It's it's called Beckett Wants to Be a Priest.
0: <clears throat> yeah. It. Where, uh, where can folks find it? Amazon and, and probably Paulist.
2: They can. They can find it both places. Um, yep, they can find it both places.
1: That is awesome, Matt. Yep. Spe- speaking of joys of family life, you might hear a crying baby in the background. That explains why I'm filming this in our office slash class, and that's where I do our videos, too. The messiness of family life. But... Matt, I thank you and your wife so much for embracing um, what the Lord was calling you to do through as you went through that process. I found it often. Um, I'd worked with a couple uh, in North Carolina that they had lost their son um, and he had died from a form of brain cancer. And it was a long, painful process. But what became their mission was helping other families that were dealing with that diagnosis because traveling to different hospitals, you know, finding lodging, paying for all that stuff is such a burden. They established this home. Um, it's called Little uh, Super Super Cooper's Little Red Wagon. It's a wonderful nonprofit, but they, they are people of faith. And it seems to me that what when God might send us across and, um, you know, oftentimes it's through the grief and the pain, something new is born that can be an instrument of healing for others. Um, so how did you guys start to start to think and dream that you know god might have that we can find purpose in this there's a way we can help others when did it start to become apparent to you that you needed to start survive and thrive
2: i will tell you one of the biggest realizations that we had to come to we had to wrestle with did god do this to us uh father mike schmitz um got the number one podcast of the country now, but uh, he said to me at a conference uh, one year, he said, God does not will our suffering. But his will is not thwarted by it. So really, you know, that, there's a lot in that, but it's kind of like, you know, you need to be sitting around with a with a beer or a cup of coffee, having a deep conversation about that. But like God's not out looking for us to suffer and choosing us, how, choosing our suffering. And none of us would wish it upon ourselves or sometimes maybe our worst enemy, but we wouldn't wish it upon anybody we love. But if you remember Jesus in the garden, even asking God to let the cup pass him, like the desire to suffer is not there for us. And God's going to use it, though. So I think it even makes God seem more powerful, right, more sovereign, more more divine that he can still use our suffering and it doesn't mess up his plan. He weaves it into the fabric without actually choosing our suffering. You know, that's probably one of the chapters that needs to be in my new book uh, about how to walk with people in grief Is a whole chapter. on like, what, what to say and not to say to people in grief. That's, that's a big thing because not everything that's true is helpful. So when somebody comes up to me at the receiving line of my daughter's funeral and says, well, sorry, dude, God's will. Now, maybe we could have a theological debate about how this fits into God's will. But certainly not helpful, especially in that moment. No, no. So journeying with people is kind of an art. Um, I like to use the story of Job where um, we don't get the answers to suffering in Job, right? People like, oh, turn to Job. He'll tell you. No, it doesn't. God's more like, where were you, Job? Why are you asking me these questions? Excuse me. um, First cup of coffee hasn't gone down yet. So but what I do learn from suffering in Job is two verses in chapter two, 16 and 17. Job chapter two, 16, 17. His friends show up. They sit down with him. They cry. They tear their garments and they're present to him. And then for the next 36 chapters, they screw it up. They try and explain it all. They try and say all the right words until basically God and Job have had enough of his friends and they cast them away. They get it right for two verses. They get it wrong for 36 chapters.
1: Well, I I think on that note, you think about Christ on the cross and who was perfectly there with him was his mother who didn't try to fix things. She knew she couldn't fix things. She literally just sat there with her sorrowful heart, united to him and wept and never left her son's side. Um, so I think even Mary gives us the model, and I, I find it so great, amazing how no matter what loss anyone encounters in this life, God's been there. So for grieving, for grieving parents, um, you know, it you can look right to our Lord's mother, right to God the Father Himself, and and see and see that, mm. and see how, um, yeah, God even and his and his people journeyed through that experience. Hmm.
2: Yeah. it. We've had to come back to that, right? That was the realization. So then, you know, to go from survive to thrive was realizing God didn't do this to us and then saying, okay, where was God? And then finding that quest of how God was healing us and he was present with us. And um, that allowed us to wake up the next morning and that allowed us to choose to go to mass the next time maybe because we weren't like oh i can't wait to go to mass and have everybody surround me and cry on my shoulder again no like we had to start choosing some of these things very intentionally and that's where we started saying we're going to live life on purpose we're going to live life on purpose and with a purpose and that's where survive and thrive started
1: well matt well um you know, so many different directions. I want to take our conversation. Maybe just a simple question. Maybe you could just share when you think of some of your favorite experiences in ministry, all the different things you've been a part of youth ministry, uh, you know, seeing kids you had work with years ago, now serving as priests in the church. Um, you think about your work in divine renovation, helping parishes and dioceses be more effective in their mission, helping them tweak what they're doing, survive and thrive the book. What what experience maybe stands out as something that wow, this is something I could only have experienced by serving in the vineyard of the Lord. This is just incredible.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I do think one of them is is doing things like this, like getting to share my story and and do ministry with other people out there doing creative things uh, like you two. And, and I told I told you, Justin, uh, we had a talk like over the holidays. I was in Colorado. Um, and we had a talk and, and the thing that stuck out for me for about your ministry was the title of making, uh, being and making disciples. And how many times I've said, it's, you know, that, that we're not just about, uh, being disciples. Cause I think somehow in the church, we got the message that we just need to be disciples, but it's about making disciples. And that's where a lot of Catholics are not comfortable. Like, no, no, no. I'm okay with my own personal holiness. I'm going to sit in this pew. I paid for this pew. I, I, you know, I go to confession, uh, you know, I'm being Hello. a disciple. Yeah. Leave me alone. I I'm being a disciple and I've made the distinction a lot like, no, it's making disciples. And you guys have so naturally captured that tension, which is being and making like they should go together. And if they don't, you're either not being a disciple in the first place, or you don't know what a disciple is. So we need to help people on that. So doing stuff like this, uh, gives me a whole lot of life. Uh, So, uh, you know, and and it all started with just people come up to me like after an event, say, how do you know, how do you how do you get to speak or how do you get to share your story? I said, share it with the people around you, share it in your circle, share it with your family, with your friends, organically
1: started. Just do something. That's literally it is just wherever God has placed you. And you're right. Your first audience might be your family. Or your it has to be. That's our domestic Jesus church. Says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, but then it grows and grows. So just start laboring in the little vineyard he's placed in front of you.
2: And I love figuring that out. That's, I think, one of the joys of ministry for me is I couldn't have predicted, you know, that first Corinthians 2, 9, what eye has not seen and ear has not heard, nor is a human heart even comprehended what God has ready for those who love him. I couldn't have predicted any of this um, going into youth ministry. I was an oil field salesman for crying out loud going to work for a global company like Divine Renovation. I was a youth minister for crying out loud, uh, talking to you guys in the morning. I haven't had a first cup of coffee for crying out loud. So all the surprises God's put in my life. That is, that is. I I, I love all of that. And I would say probably one of the other joys has been seeing the fruits. And I know a lot of people in ministry don't see the fruits, right? Because we're about, we're planting seeds. But when you get to see the fruit, that's when you are, are reminded of, oh my gosh, God actually used me and uh it made a difference and the kingdom grew and you know to see like when i was in youth ministry we had 30 young men and women enter religious formation or seminary formation 30 in my 20 years that i was there not all because of me but there was this culture of vocation that was being fostered through families and now to see these families we're starting to gather, we're starting more domestic church ministry now, even with survive and thrive. Like how do we gather with other like-minded families? How do we create a rule of life and a rhythm? How do we gather with intention? Uh, may, the church is probably going to get smaller and the church can't be dependent on what happens at the parish. Uh, and it never was supposed to, but I think we somehow got stuck in that cycle.
0: Oh man, we're, we're probably going to have to have you back to to talk about that because that's a whole topic in itself. I mean, the like the... Renewing the domestic church is one of the things I'm most passionate about. Um, And when I look back and think about the moments and the people that contributed to me loving God, they happened in people's homes. And it was because people of faith opened their home to me and to my family. Mm -hmm. And there was an authentic community there. And I was uh, people witnessed to me unintentionally or maybe they realized it at the time, but it certainly didn't feel like it didn't feel like a lecture. Nobody was teaching me. They were witnessing to me. And because they were witnessing, I was listening. And uh, as as you said, like I want want everybody to go to the parish and go more often. But let's say they go three times a week. That's a lot. That would be a very active parishioner. And maybe they're there for a a total of like six hours. There's a whole lot more time in the week where we have to spend being Catholic. And most of that's going to be in our homes and in our workplaces. So if our homes do not become little evangelical outposts of the parish, then we're losing an opportunity. I love that, Dan. We need to we need to
2: sit down again. I, I want to hear your your uh, your side of that as well. That would be great.
0: Yeah, I'd I'd love to share. And I'll I'll go back. I didn't want to interrupt Justin earlier, but I just want to say mm-hmm. thanks so much for sharing your story. And I mean, it just mm-hmm. um, it renews my faith to hear that you were able to walk through so much suffering with your wife and still come out loving God and recognizing His love and not being uh, not being. Trapped in the lie of, of thinking, oh, God did this to me. I'm so angry at him, uh, which it's understandable to to see how people get there. Um, but then even more to help people out of that so that they can continue to thrive after that.
2: Mm, thank you.
0: Yeah, you know, <clears throat> it was uh, Bishop Robert Barron
2: that said. God hates death and wants nothing to do with it. And if you think about the biggest miracle the world has ever known, it was defeating death.
0: Wow. Wow. That's, you know, that's almost like a hard thing for me to, there's something inside me that almost initially rejects that and rebels against It's like, well, that, is that true? Is that really? And you're right. I mean, the resurrection is God's de facto rejection of death for his beloved creatures.
2: And it doesn't mean we're not going to have to walk it, but we're back to the paradox of the cross again, right? Like you can't have the resurrection without the crucifixion.
0: Yeah.
1: Wow, Amen. hey Dan, no apologies needed okay as soon as uh, Matt started talking about family life in domestic church i was I was like, here we go here dan. <laughs> I was, mute. I was like here we go baby yeah, yeah, I yeah. I need to talk because that is what dan is all about and it's it's beautiful and you both you both are right um so Matt um you know I think the reason our Lord has used you so much is um you've you've focused on what he's been asking you to do right and sometimes we get overwhelmed with all the problems and that we might think there are everywhere in the church in the world or in society. And mother Teresa, though, we need to look to the saints. And I've been, we again get about her life. Cause every, every time I need a reminder of that humility, that importance for that, like God brings me a book by her or something. I mean, she's just, she's just one of my favorites. And she said that we, need mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta, said that we need to be like tiny little pencils in God's hand. We need to focus on where he has called us. We need to just let us, let him use us. Let him use us as he's fit. And he will use that pencil to draw a masterpiece with our lives. Um so um Matt, I I uh want to ask you just one final question before we wrap up here is what would you tell someone who is in ministry right now who might be a little discouraged or stuck?
2: <laughs> I I don't know anyone like that, so I'm not sure what I would say. Uh <laughs> I'm sorry. Joking, of course, gosh, it is such a tough season. And I think, I think discouragement is, is also part of the story, right? Um, I mean, the apostles got discouraged uh, trying to figure this whole thing out in the early church too. And I feel like, you know, we're back to like pre-Christian territory here uh, and and the church again, we're gonna have to like rebuild it, you know, do some Pope Francis work here that, I think discouragement's part of it. It's how do we how do we deal with that? How do we manage discouragement? Where do we go with it? Um, a few things I would say, of course, you know this is a double down on your prayer life, uh, New year, New Year's resolutions that not not just to do that to this isn't about self-help, but renewing our commitment to the Lord, our personal commitment to the Lord. Uh, is one. The other is to have a guide or a mentor or a spiritual director or someone that you can meet with regularly and it needs to be planned regularly. I think it's not just, oh, as I need it, right? It needs to be like once a month or or whatever the cadence is. Someone that you can speak uh, to, share vulnerably, and they can share authentically back with you. Doesn't mean it has to be a um, I'm not saying like a a good friend. You need one of those two, but I'm looking for like a guide, someone that's a a step ahead of that can speak wisdom into you. So I think that helps in discouragement as well. Um, The other is is choices, right? Like we need to just make the choices when we don't feel like it. Now, when you're in the church, right? Like we do a lot of things we don't like. I still have to do administration. It doesn't mean uh, because I don't like it, I don't do it, or that doesn't get me discouraged, but we need to make choices, and 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 not to to lose sight of the fact that this isn't just an emotional ascent. We're not just doing the things we feel good about. So uh, renewal of your personal commitment with the Lord, a guide, make some choices, and then finally have a vision. And this is is this is not the like final thing, but it's it's the thing that I think keeps us propelled forward, which is a vision, which is a picture of the future that we can get passionate about. And a lot of times that is around. Uh, what's not working in my life right now and what I want to work. So those two things like a healthy discontent and a desire for more will drive you to live out your vision.
1: Well, thank you, Matt, for those, for those wise words. Um, Yeah, folks, you know, it's amazing how often it comes back to our habits, how how strong are our habits Mm -hmm. and that's going to dictate our life. So, so with Dan, I just, thank you so much for making the time for us sharing your story folks. If you like this episode, please like, comment, subscribe, share this with other people that need encouragement right now. Know that the church is busy and active. Do not be discouraged. We're a lot of people in here. Connect with us. Keep hearing about things other people are doing. Get ideas, you know. Um, Read from our book some of those concepts that will help you get going. Go make disciples. And Matt, what are some of the ways they can connect with all the things you just mentioned that you're doing?
2: Yeah, just uh, quickly, they can log on uh, to the interweb and search up divinerenovation.org. That'll tell all about our global ministry of helping parishes to become missional, especially in this environment. Uh, you can find uh, my wife and I uh, survive and thrive both on on uh, Instagram and the Facebook. And um, yeah, of course, if they want to check out that little children's book or there's a little boy in your house or next door or a grandkid that you want to, to read a whimsical story about a little boy's desire to be a priest they can find that on amazon
0: well thanks so much matt i there's a quote that you just said that's echoing my ears discouragement is also part of the story and that that one hit me pretty hard in a good way and i'm gonna i'm just i wrote that down actually as we were going mm-hmm. so i'm gonna go back and think about that um because if if i think of my favorite saints discouragement is part of their story too and that's not it's not made up. It's not just all rainbows and unicorns and that kind of stuff. So thanks so much again for for being with us and and really look forward to the next time and we can dive more into the domestic church renewal. Already planning it.
2: Can't wait, guys. Thanks for having me. It was an honor and uh look forward to uh, when the world opens back up, hanging out with you guys too.
0: That would be awesome. Well, God bless you, brother. Thanks so much. Thanks. God bless. Bye-bye.